I told you once, I told you a million times, I am not coming out in the month of October. I'm ter- It's spooky out there. It's not that bad. All it is, it's autumn. We just tell a couple of ghost stories. I promise there will be no jump scares. I promise. I promise. We're going to discuss... We're going to discuss games that are horror-based. You don't have to watch any of my play footage. I promise you, James. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm slowly coming out. But I'm not coming out from under this blanket. Well, how are you going to discuss Castlevania then? You know, you're one of your favorite games. We're going to discuss Castlevania in a few weeks. You hey, just I can play have- my Switch under this blanket. Not if I turn not if I turn off the Wi-Fi first. Hmm. Okay, fine. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All you have to do is just make it for Silent Hill this week. Lovecraftian monsters next week. Resident Evil, and then you can brag on how good you are with Castlevania. Okay. 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 Best time of the year, best time of the year. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good, it's so time. dark out. I can't tell which is which right now. <laughs> Welcome to Gaming Street Irregulars. James, I'm James you, Irish, joined James, by Chrissy Harding. James, you haven't taken off the blanket yet. Oh, well, sorry. There you go. There. Here, cider. Enjoy. Okay. <laughs> Once again, I'm James Irish, joined by Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone. And... As you probably figured out, it's October as we're recording these and releasing Yay! these. Therefore, I, we're um... inevitably talking about the spookier side of gaming. <laughs> we're going to be talking today about Silent Hill 1 and 2. Another game series where the sequel was nothing like the first one plot-wise. Absolutely. I'm looking at you, Zelda. And Super Mario 2. This is true. Super Mario 2. Actually, if you think about it, there's a lot of correlation between Super Mario 2 plot-wise and Silent Hill 2. But we'll get into that. Okay. Absolutely. A lot of involvement in dreams. Mm Mm-hmm. Indeed. So, Silent Hill. Which is kind of one of the better horror games out there in many ways. Like I love Bloodborne and I like Dark Souls, but I think Silent Hill, the especially the first one was the first to really do horror. Right. Silent Hill came into the world on February 23rd of 1999 as one of the last major franchises to come from Konami in terms of games that spawned multiple sequels before mm-hmm. the company switched almost entirely to mobile slot machine games and the occasional Pachyokun Railroad game. But we've been over that ground many, many, many 
many times, and we don't need to retread it yet again. Yeah, we know how I feel about Konami kind of abandoning certain things that made them great. I'm looking at you guys. Um, we we all know Chrissy's feeling about Konami. Right. So she, I sit there and I, I will tell you, when I go to the casino and I pass one of their slot machine games that's based off of an actual like video game that has nothing to do with gambling, I kind of raspberry it as I walk by. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Well, and the other cool thing with Silent Hill was not even so much its franchise, but it also gave a whole inspirational new level to music and video games. And we have to thank Kira Yamaoka for that. He really made them not only just be the normal music you hear in most video games, but he incorporated a lot of sound into his music to make it a more atmospheric immersion. And that is something that happens throughout all of the Silent Hill games, even up to Silent Hill PT. Yes, the notorious game that nobody can play anymore. Unless you already have it downloaded, in which you do. Send me the file. (laughs) And we're going to take a listen to some of that atmospheric music right now as we take our first break. is a survival horror game. Released in the era where the genre was flourishing thanks to Capcom's Resident Evil series, as well as Alone in the Dark on the PC. Written and directed by Keiichiro Toyama and programmed by Akihiro Imamura, the game centers around protagonist Harry Mason, who was taking a trip with his daughter Cheryl. A freak auto accident avoiding a young girl in the road leads to Henry going unconscious, and when he comes to... He's alone. Your task as Harry is to explore Silent Hill to find your daughter while evading the various monstrous threats therein and trying not to get completely creeped out in the process. Yeah, and and this was really one of the first games that combined atmospheric horror with, you know, you actually have choices in this game that help you make that actually will influence what ending you get. So it's kind of one of the first games that really held to the multiple ending theory, where depending on your combination of choices will tell you what ending you get. And this version of Silent Hill is kind of what we would consider the main the main timeline of Silent Hill. It is the beginning of the lore. I'm not even going to say spoiler alert because honestly, if you have not played this game, seen the movie, read the Wikipedia articles or the fandom articles, seriously, this thing game's been out for over 20 years now. Yeah, if you've been interested in playing it, you've had opportunities. So I am not even worrying about spoiler alerts with any of these games that are this many years old. And the fun thing with Silent Hill is, is it's still... 
it's still a fun play today. Like I still kind of enjoy going into it and trying to unravel the mysteries. With Harry Mason, you learn, you know, you learn that Harry and his wife found Cheryl on the road as a baby. And they picked her up, but they couldn't find out where she belonged. So they adopted her. Harry's wife dies and his daughter recommends that they go on a vacation to Silent Hill. So kind of Cheryl's the one who pulls them back to Silent Hill. And that's going to make a lot of, and you learn why that is later on in the game. And we'll get there. So while you're running around this town, you meet Sybil Bennett, who is a police officer from a neighboring town who is kind of heard of many mysterious circumstances going on and has kind of come to check it out. You meet Delilah Giuseppe, a cultist who at first kind of you think is a friend, like is someone to help you. Uh, You meet Dr. Michael Kaufman, who I immediately hated upon meeting him in the game. It was like an immediate dislike. And then you also meet Lisa Garland who I think is one of these characters who have one of the saddest endings in this game because there's, there's nothing you can do for her. Ooh. Yeah. And, and she's someone who helps you. She comes back and she gets her revenge um, on Dr. Kaufman. So you get a point where you can actually um, rescue Dr. Kaufman and you have a choice to like save him or not, I guess. And if you save him, he comes back later and helps you out in the final boss fight. But you really start to hate him. So let's let me go back. So you meet Sybil and she kind of helps you look for your daughter in a way. She's checking everything else, but she's looking for her daughter. A question? Yes. Do we meet Sybil at a box office? Really? Come on. I had to give a shout out to our box office goddess. Unfortunately, it's spelled a different way, but yeah, I know. No, unfortunately, but... unfortunately, you don't get to meet this one at any box office. By the way, Sybil, love you, honey. She's one of my favorite people. I absolutely adore our box office goddess. So, you meet Sybil. You go on some wild goose chases because everyone's telling you where to go. You eventually, I just feel horrible. Like Lisa, just like when you meet Lisa, she's scared. She's terrified. You're the first human she's seen. And she's amnesiac. Yeah, because she doesn't remember what happened before the town changed. You can't find anyone who will answer your questions about before the town changed. The only person who gives you any real clues is Delilah, where she tells you that she needs your help to defeat the darkest darkness, and we have to send the demons away. Um, when you meet Dr. Kaufman, he kind of knows what's going on, but he kind of doesn't. He's like a little bewildered by everything. You realize that he was part of local drug trafficking into the town, and he has a hidden bottle of a mysterious red liquid that when you pick it up, he snatches it from you and runs away. Yeah, that's not suspect. Oh, God, not at all. By the way, that is a duus ex machina that will pop back up later. Is that red liquid? So he eventually runs into Delilah again, who convinces him he needs to help her stop the demon. Which is throughout this whole entire game, you see a girl who pops up every so often to guide you, to taunt you. She, she does all types of stuff. And, you, and she looks like your daughter. So you're kind of trying to catch this girl. And you're kind of told, you know, oh my god, we have to stop this girl or your daughter will die. 
so you, he realized later Sybil was kind of using you to catch the girl who is the apparition of a girl named Alyssa, Alicia. And eventually you run into Lisa again and she explains that she is actually, she explains you learn more of her backstory. And there's a part where she, she helps you out and then you realize she's infected with the parasite that kind of, every, every monster in this town is actually someone who lived in Silent Hill. And that's a scary thought, especially when you're in the school areas and you realize, oh my God, I'm kill- I might be killing children. Yeah. So there's a supernatural parasite that is infecting everybody. And you eventually get, a, get to a point where you actually, you can't save Lisa. I mean, the whole scene with Lisa, when Lisa starts to, the parasite starts to turn her, where she's begging you to stay with her until she dies. And your character, like, she starts having blood coming down her face. And you don't have any option to stay with her. You leave her. You lock her in a room and you leave her. And she's banging on the door, begging you not to leave her because she's terrified to die. And I think that that scene there was like one of the hardest scenes that I had to play through. You also get to another part where you could choose to save Sybil or let her die to a parasitic host. I recommend saving her every single time because she's a big help in the final fight. So what happens once you get everything that you need and you go and you find Delilah? Well, it turns out after you defeated the ghost of Alyssa, Alisa, that you find out that your daughter is one half of Alisa's soul. Delilah is the cult leader of this cult that worships a demon known as Samael, which is also known, which is actually um, the devil's real name. It's not Lucifer. Spoiler alert. Okay. So Delilah pretty much gave birth to her daughter. Is it Delilah or Dahlia? Dahlia probably is the right way, and I'm just screwing it up. That's okay. Yeah. So what happened was, was she gave birth to this girl. This girl was to bring the birth of their god, and they sacrificed her, and they screwed up the sacrifice, and her soul was split between the emoluated body, which of of Elise, Alessa, and Cheryl, the baby, which is when she was kind of reborn and... And it was found outside of town. And actually, Silent Hill Origins plays out that whole screwed up thing. And the only reason why we didn't start with them is I'm doing this in the order the games came out, not the chronological order. So now you have to fight the revived demon. If you saved Kaufman, he has a change of heart and he comes back and he throws that liquid at the demon to weaken them so you can actually fight them. If you save Sybil, Sybil comes back and assists you with defeating the demon. And the reason why Cheryl wanted you to come back to Silent Hill is because Dahlia cast a magic spell to draw Cheryl back so that they could revive her and give birth to their demon god. Like you do. Yeah. Like, Like is expected. So there's four different endings to this game. With a fifth little... Itty bitty bonus, which I personally think is the canon should be the canonical ending because it's so freaking awesome. <laughs> now, are you referring to the uh, the joke ending? Yes. Okay. So there's we'll get to that, that in a second. 
we will. So there's bad ending, bad plus ending, good ending, good plus ending, and the joke ending. So the bad ending, the, the deity merges with Alyssa and electrocutes um, Dahlia. Yes. Before attacking Harry, he defeats it. Cheryl's voice thanks him for freeing her. Overcome a breeze, Harry collapses. And the next scene is him actually dead in his car. That kind of implies the whole thing was a hallucination. Yep. I And the reason why it's considered, it's one of those cop-out, it was all a dream. I hate those. <sighs> what hath Dallas wrought? Yeah. Forget you, Dallas. Bad plus ending concludes with Cheryl and Sybil fleeing instead after the deity's demise. So they kill him and those two run away. That's Harry and Sybil, you mean? Harry and Sybil, sorry. In the bad ending, either either way, just so you know, Dahlia still gets electrocuted by the deity. So that is, that's true in all the endings that she dies, um, which I'm like, yes. Kaufman the good ending, so this is if you save Kaufman, uh, now feeling betrayed by Dahlia, demands that she restores the town to normal and uses the red liquid to exercise the deity out of Alyssa. Harry defeats the deity, and Alyssa gives him an instant, the reincarnation of herself and Cheryl, and then she helps him escape her nightmare realm. And everybody gets out. The good plus uh-huh. ending is Harry escapes with Sybil and the baby, so it's the same as the good ending, but now here's the extra part. Where Sybil gets out. So if you save Kaufman but let Sybil die, you get the good ending. If you save Kaufman and save Sybil, you get the good plus ending. However, Kaufman gets his just resorts in both ending where a, where Lisa, the nurse, because Kaufman was the one who ordered her to do certain things to Alyssa and proceeded to have her become infected with the parasite gets her revenge so as they're all running to the portal Lisa will come out of nowhere grab Kaufman and drag him to fiery hell Ooh, vengeance is a bitch so is Lisa. The joke ending is, as James has spoiled a little bit, is Harry gets out of Silent Hill. He's standing in a field and extraterrestrials come down, zap him and abduct him and fly away. And this is and that ending. All the other are like cinematics where that ending is done like you're flipping through a comic book. Oh. <laughs> and the best part about that ending What's that? It actually unlocks a weapon for you. It does. And the thing is, though, is with that ending, you can't get it on the first playthrough. You have to play through Silent Hill twice. Okay. That's... So, so sorry, James. You can't, you can't close your eyes. Yeah. You have to do it twice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. But the game does encourage replays with a mechanic mm-hmm. in that uh, I believe you get additional bullet pickups for every uh, victory in the game you have on your save file. Yes, you do. Every time that you play the game and you win, or you get at least a good ending, you get more storage spot for your for your ammunition the next time around. And that is not a small thing, because one of the appeals, uh, to my understanding, of playing characters in these Silent Hill games is you're not playing a cop or paranormal investigator or somebody else with very specific training to potentially handle this sort of thing. You're just an average guy or gal. You're just someone who had a normal life, decided to, you know, you decide to go to this quaint little town of Silent Hill 
or drive by it, or you're passing it for work. In Origins, your character is a truck driver. In this one, you're Harry Morgan, a recently widowed man with his with his adopted daughter. In two, you play James Sutherland, who's just an average guy who lost his wife. Where there's, we'll talk more about that one too in this yes. in this show because that that game is all types of messed up. And the thing that's interesting with the Silent Hills game is the team, the development team, has said that they were actually influenced by Carl Jung theories of psychoanalysis and a little bit of Sigmund Freud. And there's a I I can't do it justice. I'm not a psychologist. I know very little bit about about Freud and and, and Carl Jung, um, with the different uh, types of theories and the id and the super ego and the anima and all of that. And I will just say, you really want to look into it. Just type in anima. Silent Hill. There is a wonderful YouTube series where the guy goes into more depths of the different academic value of Silent Hill in regards to psychological research and video games. Um, and he makes a really good case why there should be more research into the psychological value of video games. I can't tell you the name of him because I actually was just watching it earlier today because it happened to pop across my feed as I was trying to refresh my memory of the game because it has been a while since I played both of these. And it was just just very fabulously done. I really wish I could give credit to the YouTuber. And hopefully by the time we put up this podcast on the Facebook, I'll try to ha- put his name up in the comments of who he is if you're interested in the more academic side of this. Because it's endlessly mainly fascinating. Like okay. how in-depth he goes. And he proves and disproves a lot of fan theories from that front. So... It's Silent Hill is just an interesting game because it really does explore the psychology of of the human mind once you get by, you know, the deities being birthed out of children. Mm. So now I want to spend a little time talking about the game's actual design because the team Team Silent really made good use of the PlayStation's weaknesses to enhance the atmosphere and setting of Silent Hill. The PlayStation does not have the world's greatest draw distance, for instance. Mm -hmm. So they used the inevitable fog as a means of increasing your feeling of isolation and disorientation. In a horror game, that's a crucial thing. And you got to remember also the time, too, when Silent Hill came out, its main competition was Resident Evil. And what made Silent Hill stay out, stand out from Resident Evil is Resident Evil used a 3D design with a 2D background. Silent Hill did a 3D design with a 3D background. So it okay. stood out more. And also the nice thing about Silent Hill was also the camera angles that upon which they used in the game, which made you feel like you were constantly being followed. Like you were constantly being watched. Resident Evil does do that to some degree, but not to not to the level of Silent Hill did. Okay. There were times you would be playing, and the Chammer Angel will change, and you literally had to look, and the and the noise, the music, design, 
that they had made you literally have to pause the game and you wanted to look around behind you just to make sure there wasn't a monster behind you. That's how good they used those weaknesses of the PS to its advantage. Because they could have very easily done a 2D background, but I think with Silent Hill, it would have made the story and the immersion of the game fall very flat. Yeah, and you need that immersion because this is a game that is designed to mess with your mind. I was watching uh, Gerard Collins, the completionist's video on his, on his going through the first game, which he did back in February of 2020. And he made a point of that one elevator that goes up three floors. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly later in the game, no explanation, no special graphic, no nothing. Suddenly it goes up to four floors. What? Yeah. <laughs> and this is all on purpose. Oh, it was completely done on purpose. Even the music, uh, the final battle scene with the demon and the deity, the music which was used was, it's so like, it sounds like a thousand locusts and bees and, and insects swarming around you like you would expect from a de- you know, as you've seen in like The Exorcist and Animeville Horror, that when there's a demon presence, suddenly all these flies show up. You know, Belzebub, the Lord of the Flies. And it's interesting is that sound is not actually insects; it is working dental drilling equipment. That's even scarier. That's why he picked it because we all subconscious. No one likes going to the dentist, and nobody likes the drill that they put in your mouth. And we all know what it sounds like. And it was done purposely to get that anxiety response out of you because you already know what that sound is, and you already have it linked to something that fills you with anxiety. The dentist office, and it was every noise, every sound, every design in that game was done purposely to increase your anxiety and it doesn't use jump scares Mm. it proves you don't need a jump scare to have a scary game okay maybe this is one that would be a little more up my alley then yeah i will tell you right now there's no jump scares and if they are they're they're you literally sit there like you after it happens you're like that scared me (laughs) <laughs> like you're just, it's not actual monsters jumping out at you, okay. but it is enough to, it is a psychological game. It will mess with your head. Definitely don't play it in the middle of the night with the lights off. I made that mistake. Yeah. I'm keeping my blanket close by. Oh, you're my little Linus. Hey, hey, Linus was the smartest guy in that comic. I'm not arguing that point. Uh, I'm... Except maybe Marcy, but. Oh, I miss Marcy. I love Marcy. I was cold. I was Marcy. Okay, so... So, the first Silent Hill game did not get much material support from Konami. In fact, they had a very low budget, It's which is kind of why they made some of the decisions they made, including its emphasis on story, which is why this game has aged so well when a lot of PS1 games haven't. Yep. But... And- uh, uh, do you have another another point on this first? Oh game? no, the other. I mean, this game was cobbled together. It was. This is definitely a cobbled together game, which is really sad. It was. It was a game where they all had this idea, and it's uh, Kichiro Toyama 
was actually the creator of Silent Hill. He was the director and he helped. He actually was one of the creators for it. And he came up with this idea. Konami was like, this is not going to work. He persisted. They said, fine, here's your money. It was believed that Kojima actually was one of the people who kind of championed Silent Hill a little bit. And kind of was like, no, this is a good idea and you really should do this. So they kind of gave him a paltry budget, which these guys worked on. Which it's so funny to me, James. All of the really great games out there was always on a shoestring budget. And when the developers had to do it on their own time, they were true labors of love. We saw it with Mega Man 2. We did. And what's really sad is, is that eventually Silent Hill... Because Team Silent was eventually disbanded by Konami. And this was when Konami was kind of putting their push into the pay-for-play games, you know, the tablet games, and going into the casinos, and all of that bullshit. And And they disbanded the team that really made this series, like, took this series and ran with it after two. You know... Toyama actually left in 99. He went to join um, the Japanese studio project, which became Project Siren. And he created all the Siren games. Mayashi Tusoboyama, he was the background designer. He directed Silent Hill 2, and he was the art director of Silent Hill 4. He left Konami to join Feel Good Games. Kazuhadi Nakazawa. Um, was on director of Silent Hill 3, he joined Kojima. He left and joined Kojima Productions. Mm. Uh, Sugura Marokoshi was the drama director of Silent Hill 2. He was also the director and scenario writer of Silent Hill 4, and he joined Ko- uh, Kojima at Kojima Productions. Out of, out of these, like, two people maybe, two to three people maybe stayed, is still with Konami as far as we know. The one that, uh, first one I can tell you that stayed was Hiro Yoki Owaku, the scenario direct writer for Silent Hill 2 and 3, he also co-wrote Silent Hill. According to this, he's still with Konami. Okay. Masashiro Ito was the background and creature design for Silent Hill. He was also the art director and creature designer of Silent Hill 2 and 3. Looks like he's still with Konami. The composer and sound director, uh, Akira Yamaoka, he ended up becoming a producer on Silent Hill 3 and 4. He left Konami to join Grasshopper uh, Manufacture. Also, he has released all his music onto CDs. So if you like any of his music, it is available for buying. Okay. Gozo Kitoa uh, was the executive, executive producer of Silent Hill 1, 2, and 3. He's still with Konami, according to this article. Akira Hiro Iyamura was the producer of Silent Hill 2, and he was the sub-producer of Silent Hill 4. According to this, he is still um, with Konami. And Takayoshi Sato was the CGI creator of Silent Hill and Silent Hill 2, and he left to join Virtual Heroes, Inc., and then later joined Nintendo as a visual producer. Okay. So that is actually the team members to Team Silent who brought you Silent Hill, and I've when I probably didn't have to go through all of them, but I think they deserve credit for making such a good game. Absolutely. And certainly Konami recognized it because in the words of YouTuber Avalanche Reviews, mm-hmm. once Konami had some success, the green light for the sequel was so bright you could see it from suborbit. That's a great line. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Silent Hill 2. 
yeah, this is one of the games that really sold the power and abilities of the PlayStation 2 when de- when it was demonstrated. It the 60 frame per second CGI uh, cutscenes were super impressive at the time. This was also a game that if you were expecting to see more of Harry and Cheryl and Sybil and the the demon Sam Samuel and all of those guys, this was not the game for that, unfortunately. Uh, that story went on a hiatus, and then we and this um, one came out. This game probably has the most fan theories about what the blank is going on. This was also the game that introduced Pyramid Head. Pyramid Head oh. was not in the original Silent Hill. He was debuted in Silent Hill 2, and he's been a Silent Hill staple ever since. Yeah, this is where some of the more <clears throat> kinky elements of Silent Hill iconography and lore start to really seep in. And to think that it all started by deriving inspiration from the Russian novel Crime and Punishment. Mm-hmm. It was the you, the the inspirations for the different um, installations for Silent Hill are very highbrow. They come from literature, psychoanalyst theories. I mean, it's not like these are just like, hey, we. I happened to see a spider going making a web and decided, hey, that would be a great game. It was a I read this Russian literature from the early 19th centuries and analyzed it and realized it'd be the great way of expanding on the human psyche in regards to grief, guilt, and sexual repression. Too much? No. Okay. At, at least not at, you're still you're still not going into some of the really crazy uh fan theorism that this game inspires. I'm not like you go- said, there's so many theories floating around out there. I'm, here's my take on the whole thing, and I'm going to be honest. Fan theories, you guys have them. This, we're, we don't have enough time to discuss your pet theory. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about what the creator said about their theory behind the game. Y'all want to discuss your fan theories? That's what the, comics on, the comment se- section is for. Keep it clean. Keep it nice. Don't make me have to drop kick your ass out. Because I will do that. So Silent Hill opens up with James Sunderland coming into the city based on a letter from his wife, his dead wife, that he received after she died. Uh, Already, you know, something's up. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, is this is actually one of the first games that give us an actual state in which Silent Hill takes place. And that is Maine. Guess who else lives in Maine, people? H.P. Lovecraft. Nope, he was Massachusetts. Oh. Sorry. Try the other one. Um. He wrote It. Oh. Oh. Okay. Stephen King. Stephen King. And there's there's even a street in Silent Hill named after his alter ego, which is Richard Bauman. In fact, many of the streets in this Silent Hill game are named after famous horror writers. So this one definitely pays an homage to the horror writers. Oh, we're not in there is H.P. Lovecraft, but that's fine. H.P. gets H.P. gets enough name recognition. Yeah. 
So, yep, you play James Sutherland, who gets this mysterious letter from his wife, who's dead, who says, meet us in, your, meet us in our special place. So James comes to Silent Hill and realizes there's something fishy going on. I just want to add that this one is going to be especially odd for me, given my own name. Yeah, I know. So, to set the preface of how long ago it was that Mary died, it was three years ago. So this is three years later for James. Um, when he's in town, he runs into um, several people who are trapped in Silent Hill with him and who are going through the same pangs of guilt, regret, grief, self-doubt, self-everything. So in reality, the star of this game, now at first you think it would be James, but according to some of the creators, the actual star of this game is the town itself and how it draws upon the psyche of the people who come in there and creates alternate versions of the town for them. So, and it changes based on the characters. So monsters to James may not be the same thing to Angela or to Eddie, who's another character you run into the game, or Laura, who's a bratty little eight-year-old who eventually... Oh, in the videos I watched, I grew to hate Laura. But at the same time, Laura is possible another manifestation of James's psyche. She's the one who actually, but as much as you hate Laura, she's the one who actually makes James sit down and actually kind of look at, look at his, his relationship with Mary. Laura claims that she befriended Mary and tells, you know, one of the first things out of her mouth is James never really loved Mary. So when he gets there, he's trying to get to this water park that was his and Mary's special place, first place he thought of, where they used to go and they spent all their times there. And unfortunately, because of the fog, you can't walk directly to the water park. You have to take the most roundabout route ever through these apartment buildings. And that's where you meet Eddie and Laura. You meet Angela um, on the outside of the building. When you get there, you meet a woman by the name of Maria, who looks very suspiciously like your wife. Talks like her, looks like her, acts like her. Doesn't dress like her. Does not dress like her. But this one does have a bit more of an aggressive personality, which means she ain't going to take no shit from James, and she really kind of doesn't in the beginning. Uh, claims she's never met her, and she does, and she literally tells you, I've never met her. But she joins you because. She is scared by all the monsters that she sees. Can you blame her, folks? True. So they they follow Laura because they're also trying to catch Laura. I mean, she's an eight-year-old kid running around in a town full of monsters. So even though she's a bit of a brat, James does feel some some compelling to help her. James actually, as evil of a secret as we find out about James later on, James definitely tries to help everybody else who is in this town. He tries to help all of them. The only person who I think you have no choice on whether to help or not, that you can't really choose whether you save him or not, I think is Eddie. Yeah, Eddie's Eddie's a bit of a mess. Yeah. When you eventually find out Eddie's secret, you feel bad for the guy, but you don't. Like, 
Eddie comes to Silent Hill because he hurt somebody and he killed a dog. And he came to Silent Hill and eventually he finds out he likes killing. And he gets to the point where he attacks James. James is trying to talk with him. He's like, dude, I understand what you're going through. It sucks being bullied. Like he actually tries. James actually is very empathetic to Eddie in the game. And Eddie tries to kill him and James has to kill him in self-defense. And that really hits a blow to James that he killed somebody. Ooh. So at this point, every monster in the game is actually, where in the first game, the idea is all the monsters were once actual people in Silent Hill. In this game, all the monsters are created by James's psyche to punish him. And he's got a lot of, uh, let's say, adult issues. He does. I really don't want to go into details because they are trigger warnings for some people. I'm just going to say, if you're really that curious, you can watch gameplay of it on YouTube. There is trigger warnings in here for sexual assault, suicidal thoughts. I'm going to warn, this is my warning to anyone who decides to actually watch gameplay or play it yourself. These are trigger warnings. There is Uh, issues. I do want to ask one question though. Is this the first game with the bubblehead nurses? Yes. They, they've become almost as iconic as Pyramid Head. Yeah, those nurses is actually one of the first games with that iconic design. Like, there were nurses in the first game because obviously you go to a hospital. Almost every Silent Hill game, you end up in a hospital. I swear at some point. Um, the thing also where the first real hint that this is an actual hallucination or some, or just James's psyche projecting itself is how many freaking times Maria dies. She dies at least five times in this game and comes back every single time. Oh, so yeah, that's that's distressing. It is. So as you kind of go through the game, you learn a little bit more about Mary and James's past with Mary, as well as realizing there's a lot more to Marie to Maria than you thought. You also run into Angela again, um, where she, where you find out her story before she came to Silent Hill, which is she was sexually abused by her father, and she killed him in self-defense before fleeing to Silent Hill. You find about Eddie who maimed somebody and killed their and killed a dog before fleeing to Silent Hill. You don't really find out all that much about Laura and why she ended up in Silent Hill. Um, they don't really go into why she's there, but I think it's because she's eight years old and it's like, you know, we're going to just draw the line somewhere. Yeah. But Laura does eventually trust James and brings him a videotape which shows him his secret which is he actually killed his dying wife and that could be taken in so many ways and it depends on your choices throughout the game in regards to maria and we'll explain why and i'll explain why a little bit because we're going to try to get through this Uh, after he finds it he finds angela trying to kill herself which he um she eventually walks into a fire and you never see her again and then james not runs into one pyramid head but two and Maria dies again. He then realizes that he created Pyramid Head as a way to punishment him, punish himself and that all these monsters are because of him. Suddenly, once you realize that, the envelope from Maria with the letter disappears and the Pyramid Heads commit suicide. 
Now, depending on your choices will depend on if you get Mary or Maria disguised as Mary. And this game has six endings depending on what you do. So we've got James having one last meeting with Mary and leaving the town with Laura. That's the leave ending. Mm-hmm. We have the in water ending, which has James uh, giving up hope and driving his car off a cliff. Yep. The Maria ending is Mary as the woman on the rooftop who has not forgiven James for killing her. And after her defeat, James dismisses her as a hallucination and leaves the town with an alive Maria. But she briefly coughs, suggesting the cycle will repeat as she becomes sick herself. Yep. And the other three endings are only available via replays. Yes. So the first one is the rebirth in which you plan to resurrect Mary using arcane objects throughout the game. So when you play through the game once, then you play through the game a second time and there's these objects that are are arcane that you can collect to do a resurrection ritual. And then there's the two jokes ending. Where this is not Silent Hill, this is Dog! Exactly. That's when uh, James discovers that a dog has been controlling everything going on in the game the whole time, and he breaks down and cries, and then the dog goes up and pats him on the head. Which, I love that ending. And the dog will pop up again in other endings, in other games too, when we talk about their joke endings. And then there's the UFO endings, where James is abducted by extraterrestrials with the help of Harry Mason. That's why I say that one's the canonical ending. Because it ties into the first game. So there's a lot to unpack from this game. And to be sure, that is very true. But for a fairly early PS2 title, Silent Hill 2 is actually pretty impressive to look at. Of note, in some of the reviews I watched in preparation for this, were the perspective correct shadows that are Mm -hmm. generated when you wear the flashlight device. You did not see that in a lot of PlayStation 2 games. The other cool thing with the Silent Hills game is how real they keep some of the mechanics. For example, if you are in a dark room and you want to look at your map and you didn't turn on your flashlight, guess what you don't get to look at? Your map. Your map. Or your flashlight. Or your flashlight. So it, you know, where other games, you know, like if you're in like Zelda and you walk into a dark room, you can still flip up the map and see all the other rooms. But with Silent Hill, it's like, well, if your flashlight isn't turned on, you're not going to see the map. So guess what you don't get to see when you don't turn on your flashlight? Your map. Yeah. It also had you be very conscious of your health. Because your health was not on the same screen as the gameplay. There is actually no heads-up display in this, in either of the first two Silent Hill games, nope, you've got it. to enter a pause menu to look at all that information. And they did that to keep that atmosphere because if you, it's kind, you know, it's to keep that atmosphere going. The only thing that would have made this game better if there was an insanity meter like they have in um, Eternal Darkness, San- Sanity's Requiem, that was the first game to actually have a insanity meter. That's, That's a, a game we have to save for next year. Oh, yeah. But could you imagine if this game had an insanity meter to it? You'd, it'd be going through the roof after a certain point. Mm-hmm. But it would be interesting. Like, this, this, was, um, this I think, would be the closest to a psych- perfect psychological horror game. You know, it's, it is a game that you can play. You can do it in many ways. You could just straight up play the game. 
Don't put any thought into what's going on or the meaning behind anything. Just straight up play the game. You can play the game and then kind of dull, you know, slightly divulge into the um, lore of the game. Or you can go whole hog like most people do who play this game and you try to dissect the hell out of this game. And if you don't believe me about that, just go on YouTube, type in Silent Hill 2 theories. You'll be there for at least the next two weeks. Because everybody yeah. has a theory. Yeah, you uh, and don't bring them up while you're at work. Some of them are probably very much not safe for work. Pretty much. The thing that makes Silent Hill 2 a really good game is the exploration of grief, guilt, and regret in a game. Mm -hmm. Because at some point in time, everyone of has been every one of us has been through grief, guilt, or regret. We have all felt those emotions probably multiple times in our lives. And where a lot of people like to say Majora's Mask is, is, is an exploration of that, I never felt that way about Majora's Mask. I really never did. I tr you know, everyone tries this. I'm like, no. Because to me, Silent Hill really, really explores those better than Majora's Mask did. I like playing Majora's Mask, don't get me wrong. But I think this game is definitely a better exploration of those concepts of fear, of guilt, grief, and regret. Even the more sexual stuff really is probably repression by the main character. I mean, his wife was dying. Kind of can't get it on at that point. So he Now, you know, before so we uh, conclude our discussion... Yes. Uh, unless you had another point on that line, Chrissy. Uh, nope, I think I'll drop it right there because I think that's a good place to drop it. Okay. I do want to mention that there are three versions of the game available. There is PlayStation 2, which is the original platform it was released for. We've got the Xbox version and the Microsoft Windows version. And of the three, the Windows version is considered the weakest. Yeah. Because a lot of the presentation elements in that version don't translate over from the PS2 original and the fan modding community has been working for years and years patching up these holes so if you seek this game out for, for the PC don't necessarily go emulating the PlayStation 2 version look for a fan mod of the Windows version because a lot of people have been doing a lot of work on that and it and that deserves light of day too. Oh yeah, the quality of life patches that come out for that came out for this game for the Windows, they don't charge for them cuz they're fans of the game and they kind of like do and from what I understand most people do patches like that, they're doing it, you know, because it's they want cuz they enjoy the game, they want more people to enjoy the game. But definitely, you know, if you it definitely give those guys credit because this is such a huge game that trying to do a pure quality of life patch definitely is time consuming. Mm -hmm. I, I will, and I will give them, I will give them massive, massive kudos for that. Um, the other thing that's interesting was there was actually, I'm not sure if it's considered downloadable content or if it was something that was packaged in with the game when it was re-released. And that show, and that actually gives you some of Maria's backstory. 
I believe that was included first in the Xbox version, the Born from a Wish uh, yes. uh, story material. Yeah. So what it is, is it follow, it explains who Maria was in, in the world of, of Silent Hill. She was she was a dancer, and actually, what's interesting, there is a scene where James goes for a strip club, and her posters are everywhere. Mm. So it was so she believed that she was a dance she was a dancer at the strip club. When the game starts, you kind of it's her it's she wakes up in town with a gun. She doesn't know where anybody is. She doesn't know what's going on. She just knows suddenly people were there, and now they're all gone. And she's thinking about committing suicide. But she decides she needs to find someone. She eventually ends up at a local mansion where she hears a voice of someone by the name of Ernest Baldwin. And he refuses to let her in the room where he is. And he only will talk to her through the closed door. But he gives her tasks um, to complete for him. And, And one of them is like, there's a little girl's voice that asks her to give her note to her daddy. So Maria gets the note and slips it on the door because she assumes Irwin is the girl's dad, which he is. And this is another one of those grief, guilt, and regret because we learn that his daughter dies. His mm-hmm. daughter had died. And he locks himself away because of the guilt from that and the grief. That's why he doesn't open his door to anyone. He doesn't want to let anyone in and get further hurt. After she completes the tasks, Ernest warns her about James, who he describes as a bad man. Again, James being a bad man is based on your perspective and how you play James in the game. There's two ways you can play James in the game, and I'll go into that in a second, too. Uh, so, But when Maria finally gets into the room, there's nobody there. Um, so she eventually leaves them. So it's it's implied that this was a ghost the whole time talking to her. When this all ends and she leaves the mansion, she thinks about killing herself once more. But she ultimately resolves to find whoever James is. And then she walks off to the park, which is where she meets James. Uh, there's two ways you can play James in this game. One is called the Mary Root. And the Mary Root is the route where you do where you pretty much ignore Maria. You don't flirt with her. You don't really talk with her. When she's in the hospital, you don't go visit her because you do have the option. You completely don't talk to her at all. And there's also a scene where you're at a door and you can hear James and Mary fighting. You're James on the outside of the door. And if you stay until the end of the conversation, you'll eventually hear Mary say, please don't leave me. I love you. And these are all the things you have to do to trigger one ending. Then there's the Maria route, which is you completely forget about Mary and you don't completely on Maria. You go and rescue her all the time. You visit her in the hospital. You visit her in the jail. When you hear the conversation between you and your dead wife and you, instead of staying for the whole thing, you storm away from the door before they finish the conversation and you hear the rest of what Mary had to say. That's the Maria route, which means you picked Maria over Mary. And in the other route, you picked Mary over Maria. And that will influence who you have at the top of the tower at the end of the game. Okay. Do, 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 do. That's, uh, that's, that's a lot. Told you it was a lot to unpack. Yeah, and we're going to give our fans a moment to unpack all that. As we take a break, when we return, we'll have our contact information and this day in gaming history. So stay tuned. 
Want to support the Irregulars? Head over to www.patreon.com backslash fc3roc. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events, from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc dot org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc dot org at the moment we're still working out most social media matters but we are indeed on facebook at gaming street irregulars chrissy and i are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool and begging i mean asking for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. So getting as far away from the bleak, foggy, grim, dark, silent hills we can. Well, maybe not quite, but today in gaming history in 1999 was the United States release of the Dreamcast version of Marvel vs. Capcom 1. Definitely a very bright, garish, over-the-top game. That was fun to play and And the first fight game playable appearance of Venom. Ooh. Who, you know, is topical right now because he's got a movie out. Yep, let there be carnage. As a matter of fact, there's a hidden version of Venom that plays a little differently that is colored red that some people think is an homage to Carnage. Really? Yeah. Cool. So, normally around this time, we plug Flower City Comic Con, but it's done. It's It's been and gone, people. So, we are making preparations for next year. We as in the team as a whole, not necessarily just Chrissy and I. Nope. But nothing has been formally, officially announced yet, so uh, mum's the word as far as we're concerned. We have ideas, people. We just don't know what's true and what's not. Right. But as soon as we know... You'll know. Yes. And we are looking forward to seeing you next year, especially the many of you that downloaded the Sonic the Hedgehog 1 and 2 episode, helping make it become our most popular episode to date. Woo! It be, 39 it be like, downloads now as how, of this recording. How how many how, how many is, does that beat our Legend of Zelda episode? It beats it by six and Ooh. in a much shorter time frame. Woohoo! I'm not saying that because I don't like Zelda. I'm saying that because it's kind of awesome. Yeah, I think it's proof we need to have Crunchy on more often. I agree. We must have Crunchy on. We must have yes. Crunchy on. 
We have to have, we, we have we have to have Crunchy on to discuss uh, pinball games next. Yes. But in the meantime, uh, I do want to mention that, yes, this is spoopy month. So we mm-hmm. all those things we discussed at the beginning of the episode, the Cthulhu mythos, Castlevania, and Resident Evil, those are all coming up in the coming weeks. Oh, it's going to be a fun and spooky time. <laughs> and over on the Pemmy and James kind of sort of funny, hopefully funny cartoon podcast, we're doing some uh, Halloween-themed stuff, too. We are doing the cartoon adaptation of Capcom's monster-themed fighting game, Darkstalkers. Ooh. And we're doing Hanna-Barbera's 1980s monster movie-inspired cartoon, Drac Pack. Ooh. And uh, I know what I'm they're not scary to. for the reasons you would think cartoons about mo- vampires and ghosts and wolfmen and the like would be scary. They're scary for an entirely different reason, folks. Although I did kind of like watching Darkstalkers when it was on TV. Fair. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like the fact that the kid was the descendant of Merlin. Hmm. Spoiler alert. Yeah, he was basically Harry Potter before Harry Potter. Agreed. And, and, And right down to the glasses, man. Right down to the glasses. And we could talk about this all day, but uh, I think we've kept our listeners long enough. So on behalf of Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish. Thank you so much for tuning in. And as always, game on. Bye, everyone. Bye.